chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physicians, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, and that when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to the widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel's with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was clean only Nahum, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Good morning, and sorry, Rachel, for chopping you in half. She does have the other half. It just, yeah, I don't know. Um, if you can keep that part of the Bible open, that's exactly what we're looking at. And as we're looking at this part of Luke, over at Wavell Heights, um, Reich is taking that congregation through the sermon you heard a few weeks back in Philippians. So let's pray for them too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at Luke this morning, we pray that we would see Jesus clearly and that we would accept his word. And Father, we pray too for Reich as he preaches at Wavell Heights. And as Josiah sleeps through his dad's sermon again, Lord, we pray for that congregation. We pray that they would be encouraged to keep living for you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, during the week, we had some internet dramas. And you know what happens when you ring up the internet service provider and they want to verify your identity before they'll actually talk with you. So they ask what your name is, what your account number is, what your date of birth is, those sorts of things. It's all very annoying, but we understand why they do it. Your devices are a bit the same, so you go to the shops with your, your phone and if you use one of those paying things, you want your phone to recognise your face before it will pay. You, you want that kind of identification process to happen, that identity verification is important, and so if you're wearing a mask, you get frustrated that it doesn't work. But I reckon we've all got built into us a hyper-complex verification, identity verification process. We might just wait for that jet, I think. No? We've, we've got built into us a very complex identity verification process. We filter 
and we determine who we're going to listen to and who we're not going to listen to. So, for example, if your parents were to ask you to do the dishes, well, normally you would oblige. If your teacher tells you to hand an assignment in, well, you're likely to comply. And if a policeman tells you to stop, well, you'd be a fool not to listen. On the other hand, if your sibling tells you to tidy their room, you can dismiss that. It gets filtered out. Or if your neighbour tells you um, or that you should mow their lawn, you tell them to mow their own lawn. Or if a politician makes promises, you filter that as well. You question their motives and why they're making those promises. Each of us have this highly complex identity verification process. We give respect where it's due. We give honour where it's worthy. We give obedience where we must and compliance where we can't avoid it. And we also have this 24-hour brain-powered people spam filter that helps us filter out people that we don't know or people that make unwarranted claims on our time or our possessions. We're just built that way. For many people, when it comes to Jesus, he doesn't get past the identif identity verification process that's in place. They don't recognise Jesus as the Son of God. They don't regard Jesus as an authority to be listened to. They have no respect for Jesus, perhaps no time for him at all. He gets filtered out. Other people, they do recognise Jesus, but their facial recognition, it's kind of fuzzy and blurred, and they don't give Jesus the full respect that he's due. As we're reading through this part of Luke, Luke chapter 4, Luke makes us consider our own response to Jesus. How do we respond to Jesus? Who do we think Jesus is? So in today's passage, we see people in Jesus' hometown reject Jesus. If you look at verse 29, they want to throw him off a cliff. They liked his message back up in verse 22, but they cannot accept that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And even around us today, Jesus generates a kind of mixed response like that, doesn't he? We're looking at Luke's gospel. Luke writes to show us who Jesus is, to show us that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord, our Saviour. Um, and he does that by showing that Jesus fulfills every Old Testament hope. Jesus is the completion of the law, the prophets, and the writings. It's like Luke is writing to verify Jesus' identity to us so that we will listen to him as an authority over us. Last week we looked at Jesus' temptation in the first part of chapter 4, um, the temptation of the Son of God. The Son of God must suffer in order to come into his glory and to deal with sin, but Satan tries to tempt um, the Son of God into taking a shortcut to glory. But Jesus doesn't succumb. He knows that his Father's will is for him to be obedient, and that will involve suffering in order to bring forgiveness. And so 4 verse 13, kind of when you look back at 4 verse 13, it sets you up to read the rest of Luke's gospel, anticipating that Satan will be there to trap Jesus along the way. That was Luke's temptation, in the first, uh, Jesus' temptation in Luke chapter 4 verses 1 to 13. We're now looking at what I think is a sample of Jesus' teaching. And the way that um, Luke introduces Jesus' teaching also sets us up to read the rest of Luke's gospel, listening to Jesus and his words. It gives us the framework through which to listen to Jesus. So if you look at verse 14, verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. 
He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. The synagogues are where the, the Jews used to meet and open the scrolls and read the Old Testament and so on. Jesus is moving around at the whole countryside of Galilee, generating a massive name for himself and a lot of popularity. They praise him and the way that he teaches and what he has to say from God's word. Um, if you look at verse 14, it says the Holy Spirit was on Jesus. There's a bit of an echo thing happening here. If you look back up at 4 verse 1, Holy Spirit is on Jesus, leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. If you look back at his baptism, 3 verse 21 and 22, the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. Verse 15, Jesus, he taught in the synagogues and in Galilee and everyone praised him. And then he comes back home to Nazareth, the place where he grew up, his hometown. Verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So here's Jesus, this growing reputation as a teacher in the synagogues of Galilee, comes back home to Nazareth, does what he does, goes to the synagogue. Um, and you can, you can imagine, can't you, the expectation from his hometown, his family and friends, everyone who knew him and saw him grow up. They've heard these big things about Jesus. Now it's the opportunity to hear Jesus for themselves. I'm sure you can imagine people's expectation. But the sermon text for this day is no accident. If you look at it, it's a quote from um, Isaiah 61 that we have recorded for us here. You should have a footnote. I think on the end of verse 19, it'll take you back. It'll say, you, it'll say, look at Isaiah 61. You'll find the passage that Jesus read in the synagogue that day. And Isaiah 61 is one of the passages in Isaiah that speaks about a suffering servant. Um, Isaiah looks ahead to the coming of one who will serve the Lord and will suffer in doing so. Isaiah 53 is another of those suffering servant passages, and you may be more familiar with that one. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant being despised and rejected, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. So the passage for the day is one of the suffering servant passages from Isaiah. Listen to how it goes. So the verse picks up in verse 17. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Now, as a reader of Luke's gospel, that jumps off the page. I've helped point out to you the number of times Luke shows you the spirit of the Lord is on Jesus. And here, that's what the passage says. Um, Luke's makes sure that we won't miss it. At his baptism, the spirit descends on Jesus as a dove. In chapter 4, verse 1, the spirit is on Je Jesus and leads him into the desert for, to be tempted. Chapter 4, verse 14, you get the point, don't you? This reading is no accident. It's deliberate. It's intentional. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to, for prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. If you think back to when Isaiah wrote this initially, carried along by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, when Isaiah wrote this, he was looking ahead to a time after the Babylonian exile, a time of freedom from captivity, a freedom from the Babylonian captivity. And he talks about that freedom in terms of a year of the Lord's favour, a jubilee. So in the Old Testament, if you read through Leviticus and, the, and, the, and Deuteronomy and so on, that the, 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 the Jews observed a Sabbath. Every seven days they had a Sabbath, a seventh. They also observed every seven years. So seven by seven is 49 on the 50th year, they had a year of jubilee. 
a year when you cancel all your debts. Go and read about it in Leviticus 25 sometime. Jesus reads this passage where Isaiah the prophet speaks about the freedom after the Babylonian exile in terms of a jubilee, a cancellation of all debts, a time of freedom. And as Luke records this, he wants us to see that it's Jesus who will fulfill this hope that Isaiah the prophet had. Um, this is part of Isaiah. This is part of Isaiah. It's speaking about Jesus is what Luke wants us to see. And that's exactly what Jesus' sermon is that day. So if you look down in 4 verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. What they used to do back then is they would sit down to teach. So it'd be like me sitting down up here with a microphone or not, and you all standing up to listen. It's a pretty cool arrangement. I think it would make for longer sermons. I'm trying to keep it short today. But that's the way it worked. And so he sits down to teach. And in 21, he goes, he began by saying to them, this is, I think, Luke's summary of the sermon. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus is outright claiming that this passage from Isaiah is being fulfilled right now among these people. And Luke, as he records this for us, he's helping us see that that is what's happening. Um, Jesus is saying that he is the suffering servant of Isaiah. Step through it again. So from verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me. We've already seen Luke makes us see that the spirit of the Lord is on Jesus. It's like you can see this is being fulfilled. Um, the, The Verse 18 goes on, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And here's Jesus proclaiming this good news to the people of Nazareth. And he goes on, he sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. As you read on, you will see Jesus do miracles that pretty much match what you're reading here. He will release people from demons um, and disease. He'll make blind people see. But by the time you come to Steve Young's sermon in a couple of weeks, in chapter 5, you'll see that the ultimate freedom from captivity is the forgiveness of sins. And understood in that way, Isaiah 61 is not talking about the financially poor or the the physically blind. The language is kind of metaphorical, talking about those who are spiritually poor, if you like, people who are affected by sin, people whose lives are slaves to sin, like the genealogy back in chapter 3, living in rebellion against God. Jesus is saying he is in the process of, of, of fulfilling Isaiah's hope of freedom, and he will free people from captivity to sin and death when you read it in the context of Luke. So Jesus preaches a message of fulfilment and freedom and forgiveness. And at the other end of Luke's gospel, when you come to chapter 24, you'll see this same message being handed on to the disciples. They'll go out and they'll preach repentance for forgiveness of sins, the same message. But back here in Nazareth that day, um, Jesus' teaching, it generates a mixed response amongst his audience. So if you look at verse 22... All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. He's speaking a gracious message, that's saying, a message of grace, a positive message of hope and freedom, and they love it. Um, I'm sure that on the whole they didn't understand it. They didn't really grasp what he was talking about, but it was a positive message of freedom from captivity and release. Um, while these people may have liked the message, the next bit shows they don't like the messenger. They say, isn't this Joseph's son? We read that and you think, that 
reads like a compliment. You know, wow, isn't this Joseph's son? But I don't think that's the point here. I think what they're doing is they're saying, how can Joseph's son make such a claim? I think that's what we're meant to be seeing here. They recognise Jesus is claiming that Isaiah speaks about himself. Um, they've heard enough to see that Jesus is claiming he has an important place in God's plans. That's enough for them to shoot him down. They can't accept it. Jesus will not get past their complex identity verification process and their people spam filters. They're not going to accept Jesus for who he claims to be. And you try putting yourself in their shoes for a little bit and you think, actually, it's not entirely unreasonable. This man, Jesus, has grown up around them. They've seen him. They know his family. Sure, he's made a name for himself around Galilee, but what he's saying now, that is stretching it. You can, you can understand where they're at. But we, on the other hand, we have a distinct advantage to the Nazarenes that day. Here we are, we're reading Luke's gospel over Theophilus's shoulder. Luke's written this for Theophilus to prove to Theophilus that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. And as a reader of Luke's gospel, we've got all the pieces of the puzzle. Luke's been showing us from the beginning that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament expectations, including this part of Isaiah, that Jesus is the son of God um, that has come to bring freedom from sin, salvation from sins. If you look back to Jesus' baptism, the words that are said um, from heaven that goes in 3 verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with, with you I am well pleased. If you've been reading through Luke's gospel from chapter 1 onwards, the declaration that Jesus is the son of God, it, there's no surprise in it at all. You're expecting it. If you look back into the, the birth narratives, if you look back in chapter 1, verse 32, you read, he will be great and will be the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Or again, when the angels speak to the, the shepherds in the field, 2.11, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. As you're reading through Luke's gospel, there is no surprise at the baptism when the voice from heaven goes, this is my son. Um, and the spirit of God is on him at his baptism like a dove. Luke has shown us all the way through to this point, the spirit of God at work. But if you have a closer look at those words at Jesus' baptism, um, he goes, you've got in behind it, you've also got the words of Isaiah again, another of the suffering servant passages. Isaiah 42 says, my chosen one whom I delight in. So if I read Isaiah 42 verse 1, it goes, here is my servant who, I'm, who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Even back in chapter 3 at his baptism, Luke's saying, Jesus is the suffering servant. Um, he is the one who in Isaiah 53 will be despised and rejected, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Jesus is that man. And if Jesus the man didn't know it before his baptism, he knows it from then on. And so he goes into that time of tempting in the, in the wilderness and is obedient to God's word. He knows what's ahead. He's the suffering servant. He knows exactly what's to come. 
So when Luke shows Jesus being tempted in 4 verses 1 to 13, Jesus knew exactly what was what was happening, what was ahead of him. And now in Luke 4 verses 14 to 30, Luke's showing us many people are not going to accept what we now know, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. Um, Luke verse, uh, chapter 4 verse 23, we're coming back to the passage. Luke, uh, Jesus knows exactly what these people are thinking in Nazareth that day. They're sceptical. They're unbelieving. They're dismissive. And so Jesus goes, well, the next thing that you're going to ask me for is for a sign. You're going to ask me to prove who I am. So he says in verse 23, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in my in your hometown what you we've heard you do you did in Capernaum. Jesus knows exactly what they're going to do. They can demand proof of him to prove that he is who he claims to be, to show some miracles. And then Jesus calls out exactly what's happening. He says he's being rejected in his hometown like has happened to every prophet in the past. In verse 24, he says no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. And then he gives examples of Elijah and Elisha where um, Elijah goes to the widow outside Israel. Um, and, and he gives the example of Naaman the Syrian in Elisha's time. Naaman and the widow, they're not Israelites. God's people reject their prophets. God sends them outside Israel, elsewhere. God sent his prophet to those who are outside Israel, and Jesus is saying, well, it's happening again. You're going to reject me? I'll go to the Gentiles. Jesus is saying, you think you know me, but here's news to you. Um, the salvation I, I'm offering is actually for everyone. It's not just for Israel. It's for all the nations. God's promise of freedom and forgiveness will extend to the Gentiles. And for these people that day, this is the final straw. It's like they've already rejected Jesus, and now their hearts have been hardened. The thought that Joseph's son is so brazen to make claims of being part of God's plan and and the Messiah, that's one thing. But for Joseph's son to now accuse them of being less likely to listen to God's word than a Gentile, that's the final straw. That's the limit. These people are hardened. And in verse 28, it goes, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. In verse 29, they got up, drove him out of town, took him out to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. There they are rejecting their own Messiah, rejecting the Son of God. And this rejection of the Messiah, it's going to spread from here. The rejection of Jesus by the Jews, it will be the thing that leads to his death. God will then use the Jewish rejection of their Messiah to bring forgiveness and salvation beyond Israel to anyone who will trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. But it's not time for Jesus to die yet. So ironically, Jesus performs a miracle. If you look at verse 30, he walks through this grumpy crowd. Luke doesn't underline it for you, but it jumps off the page, doesn't it? We get to look at miracles again next week. Here, I think the main point is these people will not accept Jesus as the Son of God and as their Saviour. Even when God's word is opened for them and explained to them. And so for us, well, it's not hard to think where this passage lands us, does it? How do you respond to Jesus? You've had God's word open and explained. How do you respond to who Jesus is? Has Luke helped Jesus get past your complex identity verification process? Can you see Jesus for who he really is? 
For the people of Nazareth, um, the old proverb I think is very true, familiarity breeds contempt. And I think too often the same is true for us. Um, When you grow up in a Christian home, you hear about Jesus every week at church and you go home, you hear about it more there. It can be easy to grow familiar with what you're hearing about Jesus and to fail to appreciate the truth, maybe even to stop listening, maybe to stop taking it to heart, maybe stop reading God's word. Sure, we keep going along to church, but nothing sinks in any longer. If that's where you're at, then have another look at Luke and let Luke show you who Jesus is. Listen to Jesus' teaching as you continue to read on through Luke. Um, You could argue that Australia as a nation has followed that kind of path, couldn't you? Over the last few decades, feeling like we know everything there is to know about Jesus, but failing to see Jesus for who he really is, the Son of God, the judge over everything, the fulfilment of God's promises. If you've lost sight of who Jesus really is, then as you read through Luke, allow Luke to show you who Jesus really is. If you've been living as a Christian for many years and you've kind of grown comfortable with Jesus as kind of being part of your life, so comfortable that you kind of push him to one side to the point where really you can't honestly say that he is Lord over you, then have another look at Jesus and pay attention to his teaching as you read through Luke. If you're someone who is keenly aware of your own failures and your sin and you feel guilty before God, then listen to Jesus' teaching. Allow him to release you from your slavery to sin and your captivity. Enjoy the freedom and the forgiveness that we have through Jesus' death in our place. Enjoy seeing Jesus clearly as you read through Luke's gospel. Or if you're still constantly blown away by who Jesus is, still amazed that he would be the son of God, that he would actually, as a son of God the Son, become one of us. If you're still amazed that he would take your suffering for you, bring forgiveness, then keep reading through Luke and be encouraged to keep living for Jesus as you can see him clearly for who he is. Wherever you're at, what I'm saying is make sure you recognise Jesus for who he is. Let him pass your verification process. Listen to him as God the Son and the Son of God. Um, I'm going to pray that we would be doing that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, please help us to see Jesus for who he really is, your son, our saviour and our Lord. Lord, we're sorry for losing sight of Jesus so often and we ask you would forgive us. Please forgive us too for not living for him. We pray that you would work in us and change us so that we're living for you alone. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.